بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد الحمد لله this is just just being here it's you know everyone's probably going through different parts of their life if, you know some of you might be really tired some of you know, might have something going on at home someone might have something with their health someone could have something abroad that you're concerned about other family members someone could have an issue with their business all of that this is the world it was never meant to be plain sailing this is the reality of this life it's not supposed to be just that's jannah sometimes we expect the world to be jannah not to say that we don't want things to be good of course we have to always pray for afia and we ask allah that allah always keeps us with afia but these are times and moments that allah gives us where we just have to be just just relax you know when we're out of here our minds are always just, they're running all the time okay we're never at rest we're in a place but we're not there we're somewhere else this is an opportunity just to be just be just just let your body relax just that's it this this is important we all need this just just stay calm that's it and until we don't get ourselves used to this be very difficult in our day-to-day -day life then to feel this calmness and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has taught us this the quran teaches why do five times a day we are invited stop what you're doing just slow down stop just bring a total stop and it, it, it doesn't just tell us to stop physically stop everything even like we've been told that the best salah is the one which has the most concentration as well so even your thoughts everything needs to stop your thoughts should stop your physical activity should stop you want to try and feel in the salah as well and then after that you continue and then you come back again and then you go and then you come back again and then you go and this is the, this is the idea and five times a day is like the minimum but not the maximum five times a day is the minimum but not the maximum. That's why the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam taught us many other things that we can do throughout the day. Like for example, all the du'as that we have, uh, the sunnah du'as, and then how the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would remain in the masjid from uh, Fajr till Ishraq, for example. Okay, these are all grounding activities that bring you back down. It just gives you that firmness, that that peace in your life and we all need it so we thank Allah for this opportunity we might not view it as something special we think about it how many times a day do we get to do this or in our general life we don't this is this is this is an amazing thing just to be and we're not just being anywhere we're in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to do this more and more the Prophet ﷺ spent a lot of his time just being. And this is something we're not, that's why we're human beings, we're not human doings. Uh, so it's, it's, it's important to get into this kind of routine, especially with things like this nowadays. Like when's the last time? You know, Allah's not looking for some huge contribution. It could even be a small thing. Like there was a woman who gave a thirsty dog water to drink. 
Right? That, that was just a moment. There was a scholar who his whole life he was doing writing and teaching. But when he got forgiven and asked in the hereafter, somebody saw him in a dream, Allahu bik. He says, all that was put aside. One day I was writing and a fly came and sat on the pen and began to drink the ink. And because I allowed it to drink, I didn't shush it away. Allah forgive me for that. There was a man who was walking on the path and he moved a branch from the road. He didn't build a whole masjid or an orphanage. So Allah is not necessarily looking for these huge, huge... Con and this is sometimes we, we sort of feel so guilty as well. I, I can't do what he's doing or what they're doing. So I, I might as well not do anything at all. Allah is not always looking for that. It could be something tiny, small. This is why every moment... But the problem is, when we do get a moment, we're not in the moment. That's the problem. So when do we get... Nowadays, we're all busy, right? Even if we've got nothing on, we're always saying we're busy. But when we do get moments, for example, if you've gone to the doctor's surgery or you've gone to the dentist, okay, and you've asked, been asked to wait in the waiting room, okay, those are precious moments, five minutes, ten minutes. You've gone shopping, you're in the queue. You've gone to fill up petrol and you're waiting. Those are moments. Allah's giving you those moments. What do we do in those moments? They'll, don't say, we're not saying take out time. We're not even saying take out extra time. Everybody has moments. You've gone to pick up your child from school, you're waiting. There's a few minutes left. We're in the masjid, for example, a few minutes left for salah. Uh, there's this, you've gone to the takeaway, there's a few minutes, you're waiting for a few. There's 10 minutes. You know what? Those minutes, those moments could be life-changing. But we don't realize how... I, I'm, I'm a victim myself, I'm involved myself. We're all are. We've been consumed. So we're not talking about the benefits and the harms of the mobile or anything. No, that's not the discussion here. Everything has its good and its bad. But what we're saying is this is nothing to do with that. What, it's about me. What am I doing with my... So this is, this is going off on a, on a different thing here. But these moments are very... Every moment special. And this is an opportunity we have to make the most of the moment that we're in. Just to be in that moment, it's a great blessing. Because most of us are not in the moment. So just realizing that you're here, appreciating where you are, that's a great gratitude to Allah. Allah loves that. That's how we should start our day. Alhamdulillah, amatana wa Then again, when you wear your clothes, Alhamdulillah, kasani This is this is powerful. When you wear your clothes, okay. You, it's not supposed to be a mindless exercise. This is supposed to be a mindful exercise. You know, they're talking about mindfulness today. Everybody, Islam's got it in, in its core. We, we've got it all the time, constantly. The Prophet ﷺ says that when you wear your clothes, you're supposed to realize. Why, why is he saying, Alhamdulillah, ladhi kasani hadha? You're supposed to actually feel the clothing on you. All praise is due to Allah who gave me this. Like, why do you have to say hadha, like this? In one hadith, hadha thawbah, this clothing. Like, it's to bring your mind to what you're doing. And you're not, you're in the moment. And he gave it to me without any power of my own. Do you know what happens when you say this? The hadith says, all your previous sins are forgiven. You think that, what's also great about it? That what the greatness about it is, is being in that moment, 
being appreciative of Allah and attributing this to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what Allah loves. So you're in that moment. This is ihsan. Wearing your clothes at that time. You know, we, we think about ihsan in salah or in hajj or when you're doing fasting, ihsan. Ihsan is in everything for a Muslim that Allah, I am, I am watching Allah or Allah is watching me. If you can bring your, yourself in you know, the moment, value the moment, bring ourselves onto that when I'm wearing my clothes, this is a sunnah, I'm going to read this dua and just be in that moment. Okay? You won't be unappreciative for the rest of the day because you've thanked Allah. How many people don't have clothes to wear? Okay? That you won't think, oh, this is too old, I need to get rid of it. Or I'm not up there, I'm not with the trend. Okay? You'll be appreciative of what you're wearing when you start your day. In, with this kind of positivity in mind and you're being grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah give us the ability to value the moment, to be in the moment, to appreciate the moment. So let's have a recap of um, last week, lesson number 27. I was about to get mixed up with the numbers there. So we, we started a new, um, we took a, like a new direction kind of thing, di diversion kind of thing, on the same, same path, but we've just turned slightly. So we're still speaking about how Rasulullah planted the love of Masjid Al-Aqsa in the hearts of the Ummah. And the first recipients of the love of the Prophet were the Sahaba. They were the first people to receive it. Now, the way to best to understand this is to understand how they reacted and responded to this love that he gave to them in regards to Masjid Al-Aqsa. So we're going to study the lives of Sahaba. So this is the direction we're taking now. The Sahaba and Palestine. How, how did, what was their connection with him? So last week we had an, a general overview, uh, which I'm going to hear from you now, inshallah. And then we'll move on to the part two of the Sahaba and in Baytul Maqdis in Palestine. So, um, fire away. Whatever you remember, whatever you can contribute. Everyone's important, everyone's special, and your contribution is important. Go on. Very good. This is where we actually started from that the number of Sahaba that went to Palestine, Baytul Maqdis, Asham in general, it's so large in number that nobody actually knows the real number. We know there were loads, but nobody actually knows. Nobody's been able to count how many because there were just far too many. So, Jazakallah Khairan. It's a good start. And to understand that, we went over some historic events to give an understanding of the point Maulana just mentioned in terms of the number. Who can remind us of any of the events that we spoke about? We spoke about altogether five events. Okay, so one of the events is when Sayyidina Umar went to Jerusalem 
okay, to get the keys and he gave the assurance of safety to the people. Everybody is familiar with the story uh, when this took place. So specifically, okay, so we know the story, but we're looking for a number, aren't we? To just gauge the idea of the abundance of Sahaba. So on that particular journey, um, was there any, uh, how many, wh where, where can we find the number? So he asked the patriarch of the time to show him. Anybody? That's, that's right. So when he went, they said, well, show me the Masjid of Dawud alayhi salam. And he showed him. And then it says, Umar radiallahu ta'ala went in that direction with his sword hanging by his side. And there were 4,000 Sahaba with him. Again, with their swords hanging by their sides. So that was, that's one large number. 4,000 Sahaba just on that one occasion. So that's one incident we've spoken about. Any others? Yeah, that's correct. So Sayyidina Abu Bakr who despite he only had two years of Khilafah and there were many challenges that he faced. But despite that, he sent an army or armies to the land of Asham. And again, we're looking for a number in particular. So the army that he sent prior to sending the actual army, he sent an army just to check things out with Amr ibn al-Asr In that army, there were 3000 Sahaba and most of them were from the Muhajirin and the Ansar. So well remembered, mashallah. So that's two, we have another three events that we spoke about. Anybody else? Yes, we did. We, there was a mention of Sayyidina Muawiyah radiallahu ta'ala. I don't know if that's created a spark in somebody's mind and think, oh yeah, I know. Yes, brother, I mean. Very good, that's exactly the one. So one Sahabi, or he was a Tabi'i, uh, he says that he accompanied Sayyidina Muawiyah in Masjid Al-Aqsa. Muawiyah led the Jum'ah prayer. The narrator, he says, that after Jum'ah, I turned around and I looked, and he says, the Masjid, most of the people that were in Masjid Al-Aqsa, most of them were the Sahaba of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Did we, we didn't see a number there, but the idea that the whole masjid was full of Sahaba, that in itself is an indication that there were a lot of Sahaba there. So that's three incidents out of the five. Yes. Very good. So that was the first incident we spoke about, the Battle of Yarmouk. Now you're probably thinking, how does Maulana get all of this? Well, he writes things down. Okay, and the only reason I'm remembering is because I've got, I've made note of these things as well. So that's just giving you an idea that we're not superhumans. Okay, there's only so much we can remember. Mashallah, some of you have got a very good memory, but most of us, uh, we do rely on these kind of, and these are useful tools um, to make a note of things. Um, but yeah, I guess some of you are probably 
were relying on the messages that we used to give the updates on. So Alhamdulillah, it's up to date. Last night I made sure I got it up to date. So we'll be sending them out and we'll be back on track, inshallah. Um, so yes, the time of Yarmouk, and there were a thousand Sahaba, most of them were the participants of Badr. Um, I think there's one more left, isn't there? Yes, there's one more left. The other interesting thing to see here now is normally every week we have a lot of input from everybody. Already we can see that, that the input kind of level has gone kind of down. And the reason is we're going into like an unknown territory now. So everything we've been speaking about up until now, there's been some sort of familiarity. We've heard either the hadith before or the incidents before, or we've kind of been used to that line of thinking where we've been speaking about general virtues, etc. Because now this is something new for most of us, okay, where we're exploring Saham, we're going quite deeper into it. We're not just looking at a surface level, okay? We're going much more into it to explore the topic. So it will require us to be a little bit more focused and a bit, little, little bit more attentive. And it's, it's a learning experience for all of us, including myself, where we're going further into this topic. We can just leave it here and then move on to something else. But I think it will be of great benefit for us to speak about something that's probably never been spoken about in any masjid in the whole of the UK. Um, and in many masajid, maybe throughout the world even, okay, going into this topic. So it's a great opportunity Allah has given to us to go further into this and understand this. Um, so the, the fifth one uh, was the Sahaba in the army of Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah radiallahu ta'ala anhu that accompanied him at the, we even spoke about the, the, the river, the sea of Tabariyah. And after he passed away, Iyad ibn Ghanam radiallahu ta'ala anhu was made the leader. And with him there were Sahaba and historians mentioned up to 2,000 Sahaba. So we spoke about all of this and we concluded to say that, look, these were just incidents. There were many, many more. We just chose five and said this just shows how many thousands of Sahaba frequented those lands of Bilad al-Sham on many different occasions. And... We concluded with a very important point and we said, coming back to what Maulana said, and then we concluded on that as well, that there were thousands and thousands. How many names did I, I even give you a number as well. If somebody was to really try and write down all the names of the Sahaba who we've come to learn through Hadith, Tariq, okay, Ghazawat, we try to understand how many or which Sahaba participated in any way in Asham, how many names can you write down? If we were to, somebody was to go and write these names down. We even spoke about the prophets and we know there were approximately 124,000 prophets. How many names are in the Quran? Twenty-five. Okay, and then in the hadith and books of tarikh and from the Israeliyat, we might learn a few more. I say few more, okay? So we go all the way up to maybe 30 maximum we might. Again, with the rest of the five, Allah knows best, okay, in regards to them. We know 25, and okay, let's, let's say 30. Well, with the Sahaba, again, the Sahaba were in a similar kind of number. We know there were more than 100,000 Sahaba. 
How many of them participated in Asham? We don't know exactly the number. So two things to keep in mind. One is if somebody was to try and list them down, anybody remember the number we said? No? More than 100 and something. Adilbai, I think we need to have breakfast before the session now. They need tea before and then breakfast after or something like that maybe. Actually, I shouldn't say that because he'll go and do it as well. He actually will do it, so I have to be careful with what I say. Anything, mashallah, anything to benefit the community, uh, that's, that's Adilbai for you, mashallah. Um, so may Allah accept an increase in reward and himma and uh, may Allah give everybody the tawfiq to join in and, 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 and have this, you know, a similar kind of passion. Yeah, it's very close. Okay, 234. Two, it's around that kind of number. Okay, 200 and something number, 234, 240-ish. That kind of number. That's, I mean, if you really, really try that doesn't mean there were only that many. We've just said thousands. Okay, if you just count the five incidents, just that comes up to so many thousands. And there were many more than that. Why did we say we don't know a lot of the names? Like most of the names we don't know. So there were many who came from outskirts of Medina, from villages. A lot of them, the only chance they saw the Prophet ﷺ would have been when? In the farewell Hajj. So there are Sahaba because they saw him, they accompanied him, but then they didn't stay long enough to be able to narrate. And maybe they did narrate, but the hadith didn't reach us. Just because they didn't read. Look, this is very, context is important in everything. Because it can get very confusing. Think, hang on a second. Where did you get all these thousands from? We don't, we've only heard about a few of them. Well, you, it's not just what you know and what reaches you. There's so much going on. So it's important to understand the context of where and how this is happening. Okay, let, um, yeah, so the campaign. We had a very interesting one last week. I'm sure everybody took part in this. The spiritual personality test quiz. I'm sure most of you did it. Um, what, what did you get? Which Sahabi were you matched with, number one? What's your spiritual personality, number two? Number three, what role can you play in the world? And number four, you had like an action plan. There were four things that you could take from there. Don't know if you remembered all of them. Who were you matched with? Who? Oh wow, mashallah. I'm getting scared now. Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And uh, any, any inspiration you took from there? About justice and courage and justice. Okay, does that resonate with you? Okay, so the yes part, alhamdulillah, that's good. Uh, and the no part, well, it's something to build towards, inshallah. I think it just really helps you when you've got... Sometimes when it's just... Yeah, there's all of these to choose from and you just, you just get a bit lost. But when you've got like one person like to use as your guide, that the Prophet ﷺ said, although it's weak in its sanad, that the sahaba are like guiding... Whichever sahabi you take, and you choose them as your guide, you'll be guided. So, there, there you go. You, do you get a female? You get a Sahabi and a Sahabiya. Aisha. Aisha radiallahu anha. Well, you can see 
how Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Aisha again, in, this, in a similar kind of thing, very courageous when it comes to things like that. Uh, and also very fair and other qualities as well. Uh, did you? Very good, mashallah. Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala, that's inspiration, right? And because um, I got that one as well. And uh, anything you took from there? Okay, are you usually the first? In Salah, mashallah, very regular. Okay, both father and son, we have to give credit for that. They're there in the front self, mashallah, may Allah accept. So we can see that and we can take that and apply that to many other things as well. Did you kids have a go? Oh, wow, go on. Wow, very good. Uthman bin Affan. Reflectful. What does that mean? Is that something you do as well? Kind of, very good. That's good, mashallah. What about yourself? Wow, you got Umar ibn Khattab as well. And what did you take from there? Restrain. What does that mean? Stopping from? From doing something. So what are you going to restrain yourself from? <laughs> okay, we, we can, having the restraint is a very good uh, quality. Sheikh, did you get a chance? Okay, very good. Alhamdulillah. That's good as well in itself. Did you get a chance to do it? No. Uh, all by yourself. Hazrat Ali radiallahu anhu. Very good, mashallah. <laughs> And has a Zainab. Anything you can share with us? Okay, so basically, um, activism, activeness, very good. Did you get a chance to do it? No, yep, okay. Omar radiallahu ta'ala Anything you can take away from it? Okay. Is that something you do? Okay, you're going to improve it, inshallah. Uh, Omar? Sorry? Ali. Should we change your name to Ali now? <laughs> okay, well, what did you take? Did you learn anything from it? Any particular qualities, uh, Amin? Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, okay. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, it's not always fixed because you could be like, have one kind of personality at one time and another type at another time and that's perfectly fine. Um, it's about knowing yourself until you don't know yourself and know your spiritual self as well. It's, it's quite beneficial. Um, Brother, is it Naim? Uthman ibn Affan. And anything you, anything you can learn from there? Anything that's an inspiration for you? You're going you're gonna to work on it. Okay. Did you ever get a chance to do it? Omar bin Khattab. And anything that you can take away from there? Courage. 
controlling anger. Okay, that's very good. Omar radiallahu ta'ala who was, okay, we know regarding his anger before Islam and after Islam. It didn't go away, he channeled it, okay, he regulated it. So it's not necessarily, not to feel guilty that, oh, okay, I'm an angry person. If, you're, if, that's, if that's how a person you are, that's fine. That's how you are. Everyone's different. But then to learn how to regulate it and channel it in the right ways, like Omar radiallahu anhu did. Did you get a chance to? Uh, next. Uh, no? Uh, Adil Bhai? Conviction. Of course, of course. Yeah. MashaAllah, very good. And this is the whole reason why we're doing this. Is we, we, you don't realize what we learn from everybody. It's the whole life is a learning experience. It's not one way where, you know, somebody sits here and speaks. We learn so many things from each individual. You might think, you might feel I don't have anything to give. Believe me, everybody has something to give. Uh, and and it's, it's very beneficial. Uh, Tomjit, sorry. Go on, bro brother, you wanted to say something. Very good. MashaAllah. Very good, mashallah, very good. We learned some we learned something great from there. Brother Tomjit. Very good. Mashallah, that's really good and we can see mashallah Tamjid's makes a lot of use of the opportunities we have. Um, he partakes in a lot of the things we have at the masjid. I'm sure he partakes elsewhere as well. But here we know, we see that. May Allah increase you and give you more steadfastness, inshallah. Uh, Hafiz uh, Abul Bashar. Okay. <laughs> okay. Do you, when something's happening in front of you and you're in a scenario where it's not right, is there an inner voice telling you something, but you're not, so there, there, there you have it. So you've got it inside you, you need to bring it out now, <laughs> inshallah. So th this is the whole idea why we're not going to, it's not as if we're going to have that sahabi, it's going to match you exactly. 
it, it might match you, your spirit. So it's in spirituality is inside you, isn't it? And to bring it out, you need to work on that, and that takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Change doesn't happen overnight. Uh, but we have to just try and push ourselves. Um, I don't think you've had a chance to do it yet. Maula? Okay. result using wisdom wisdom okay that's very good did you get a chance to do it no problem inshallah okay so alhamdulillah that was quite great um learning from everybody okay let's move on today's um lesson um where are we lesson number 28 so bismillahir rahmanir rahim so today we're speaking about the sahaba in baytul maqdis and palestine part two so, the Jerusalemite historian, Sheikh Mujuruddin al-Hambali, rahimahullah, someone who was a great historian, Palestinian, he's passed away in Palestine, he's buried very close to Masjid al-Aqsa as well. He also writes that the number of Sahaba that entered Masjid uh, Palestine, Baytul Maqdis, and the land of Asham, uh, is so huge that only Allah can enumerate them. Like, nobody's been able to count, nobody will be able to count. If anybody will be able to actually count them, it's only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So nobody's been able to actually number them. Today, yeah. Yes. That's inside Masjid al-Aqsa, yes. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct, very good. So today what we're going to speak about, so we've spoke about the large numbers. Today we're going to speak about why the Sahaba undertook the journey to that land and what connection they had. And we're going to speak about um, six different reasons for why Sahaba undertook the journey. And it's very interesting to see why, would, why did the Sahaba go there to do what? And what connection did they have with Baytul Maqdis? So number one. The first one is what we term as shahada or martyrdom. And what we learn is there were many sahaba from many amongst the sahaba who actually lost their lives in that land. So they're, they're from Makkah, they're from Medina, they're from Arabia. But when you find out where they shed their blood and they breathed their lust and they lost their lives uh, because they were in the cause of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, it was over there. So that was one of the reasons why many Sahaba traveled uh, with that hope that they can serve the religion in such a way and they actually gave their life as well. Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah, in one of his books, when we speak about these figures, we always think about their only book, like Sahih al-Bukhari, he's got other books as well. So in one of his books uh, of tarikh, Imam al-Bukhari has actually listed some names of Sahaba who were martyred in the land of Palestine and its surrounding areas. So he's given a few names. Amr ibn Sa'id ibn al-As radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. Aban ibn Sa'id ibn al-As. Khalid ibn Sa'id ibn al-As. Tufayl ibn Amr al-Dawsi. 
and Dirar ibn al-Azbar, Ikrama ibn Abi Jahl. Ikrama ibn Abi Jahl, the son of Abu Jahl, who later on became a Muslim. He became a martyr in Asham. And Salama ibn al-Hisham, Nu'aym ibn Abdullah, Hisham ibn al-As, radiyallahu anhum ajma'een. That was just to give you an idea of some Sahaba, what instigated them to go there, and their connection with Palestine and its surrounding lands. Number one. So number one was uh, martyrdom, shahada, and them giving their lives. Number two. Number two was jihad. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam had prophesied on many occasions and towards the end of his life he said very clearly that Baytul Maqdis is going to be conquered. It, there's going to be a conquest. Muslims are going to conquer it. So that drove a lot of the Sahaba thinking we want to be part of the living prophecy of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So many of them went and they wanted to become part of the prophetic prophecy. And just to give you a glimpse and an idea of how valuable this prophecy was, we find Ibn al-Murajjah, again another historian, he's written that when Sayyidina Abu Bakr, now we're looking at, this is before the time of Umar and the actual conquest. So we're looking at Abu Bakr whose time, he wrote a letter, Ila Khalid ibn al-Walid. He wrote a letter to Khalid ibn al-Walid. Where was Khalid ibn al-Walid with his army? In Iraq. So he wrote a letter to him and he said to him that, Oh Khalid, as soon as this letter of mine reaches you, I want you to get, gather all your armies and come all the way to Asham. Why? Because laqariyatun min qura baytil maqdis ahabbu yaftahuhu Allahu alayk ahabbu ilayya min ristaqin azim min rasatiqil iraq he says that one of the small villages of asham or al-baytul maqdis that allah allows you to conquer o khalid a small village is more beloved to me than one of the whole regions of iraq so imagine abu bakr was carrying on with the vision of the prophet and they knew that this land was sacred it's different it's not the same as anywhere else so he said yeah you're in iraq okay you can conquer land upon land and region upon region but i'd rather you bring your whole army here into asham and even if allah allows you to conquer a small village that's much more beloved to me because it's related to baytul maqdis and something the prophet loved so that was number two. Number three, another reason why Sahaba traveled and they were connected to Baytul Maqdis, Palestine, Asham in general, is residence. Residence. So there were some who actually originated from there. Anybody know who was from there? From Palestine? Originally? No, he's not a Sahabi though. We'll come to that in a moment. From the Sahaba, anybody know who from the Sahaba is actually from Palestine, from Hebron actually? No. Hazrat Bilal is from Habasha, Abyssinia. Who 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 lit who lit the masjid, Masjid al Nabawi? Who's the one who provided the lighting? And we spoke about this in detail with the olive oil and why? Like, why was it him? And we speak about Palestine and olive oil and. Ha. 
No. This is Rumi. Rumi is from Rome. This is who, who, who is from Palestine itself. Which Sahabi? I, I'll give you a clue. It's the story of the Jal he narrated as well. Tamim al-Dari. So Tamim al-Dari, okay, so this is one example of people who actually lived in Palestine. So Tamim al-Dari wasn't one person, okay. Later on, his close family, his extended family, okay, all of them accepted Islam. So they all lived in Palestine. So that's one of the reasons. So his whole family, his extended family, the whole delegation that came with him of other families also, they accepted Islam. They lived there in Palestine. Another reason why people lived there because some of them were appointed governmental roles. Like you're going to become the governor and you're going to become the minister and you're going to be in charge of the finances. You're going to, and the Prophet sorry, Umar who sent many people um, to go and uh, live there. Some of the names of Sahaba who lived in Palestine, number one, Ubadah ibn Samit Number two, Shaddad ibn Aus These two are actually buried alongside the wall of Masjid al-Aqsa as well. Abu Ubay ibn Ummi Haram, Shamoon Hadramaut, Abu Rayhana, Salama ibn Qaysar, Fayroz al-Daylami, Dhul Asabi, Abu Muhammad al-Najjari, radiyallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een. These are all Sahaba. Some of the names you've probably never heard before. But these are Sahaba who actually lived in Palestine or the surrounding areas. So how many is that number? Three. Number four. Maulana knows because he's writing it down. Number four, the fourth reason why people, Sahaba, traveled to Baytul Maqdis, Palestine, or had a connection to it is worship. We know that Masjid Al-Aqsa is one of the only three masjids that we've been told to take a journey to with the intention of gaining extra reward. Okay, Masjid Al-Haram, Masjid Al-Nabwi, Masjid Al-Aqsa. So there were many of the Sahaba who traveled there just to pray. Or they travel there, why? To tie the ihram for the hajj and the umrah. And one name uh, which comes up a lot, just to give it as an example, is Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He says that he would travel from Medina, go to Baytul Maqdis Masjid al-Aqsa, perform two rakat salah and then leave. And somebody would give him a glass of water. He says, no, I'm not going to even drink water. Because the Prophet ﷺ has said that Sulaiman made a dua that anybody that comes to this masjid with the intention of only praying here and nothing else, okay, he will return just like the day he was born. And he goes, I want that dua. I'm not going to drink water. I'm not come to drink water. I've just come to pray salah. Um, so this was another reason, number four, worship. And number five, the fifth reason was education. Now, any newly conquered land, Palestine was one of them, Asham is one of them, newly conquered land. There's going to be new Muslims, people entering Islam. There'll be non-Muslims as well who want to learn about Islam, people accepting Islam. So because of which what happens now is there was a need to send muallimin, educators. So Umar is now sending Sahaba specifically there to teach the people Islam. And the, the, the lessons of Islam, the basics of Islam, one of those teachers was Ubadah ibn Samit. Uh, that's one of his roles that he played there as a muallim, as a teacher of Quran to the people in Asham and Palestine. And the last one we're going to speak about today, number six, is business. One of the other reasons why Sahaba were connected to Baytul Maqdis, Asham, was business. But this connection didn't come after Islam. This was a connection that they already had. Many senior Sahaba, 
A lot of you won't know this. Many senior Sahaba, like even Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Abu Sufyan, okay, who later on became a Muslim, Amr ibn al-As radiallahu ta'ala anhu, they had business relations prior to the conquest uh, in Palestine. They had business relations, connections that they had. They had the trade journeys. And this was even prior to the conquest of Jerusalem and the broader area. And just to reflect on this, who was the grandfather of the Prophet Anybody know? Mm. Abdul Muttalib. Who was his father? Hashim. Who was his father? After that. Okay, let's not go too far because we're speaking about Hashim. Hashim, who's Hashim? We speak about Banu Hashim. Who's Hashim? Hashim is the great grandfather of the Prophet. The Quraysh, we know, Quraysh. This is very close. How close is Palestine to the Prophet? Hashim was the great grandfather of the Prophet. He participated in the business trade caravan journeys of the Quraysh. Where did they used to travel to? Do you know what they used to travel to? Gaza. Gaza was a business hub. Okay? In Arabic we say Gaza, Gaza. And on one, of, one such business trip, Hashim, the great-grandfather of the Prophet ﷺ, he became ill when he was in Gaza. And then what happened? He passed away in Gaza. Today he is buried in Gaza. That's why the actual name of Gaza is Gaza to Hashim. This is, ask any Arab. He'll tell you that the actual name of Gaza is Gaza to Hashim. The Gaza of Hashim. Who's Hashim? The great-grandfather of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So there's a very strong link, a family link of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to Palestine because his great-grandfather is buried there. Not only that, not only that, when Amina, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's mother, conceived the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and she was carrying him in the womb, where was his father? Trade route, journey. Abdullah, where had he gone? Where had he gone? To Gaza. This, this was where they used to go, where his grandfather went. So he also went there. And it was when he was returning from Palestine that he passed away on, on the way back. So even the Prophet wasallam, Sahaba, they had these relations to that particular land. And this is why they continued to go there. Some of the Sahaba even had temporary homes. You know how we like have a holiday homes? Okay, so they had these temporary makeshift homes between Makkah, Medina and Baytul Maqdis. Some of them would be actually there. Because if they're going there so regularly every single year, okay, they'd be staying there for a little bit of time. They're not going to go all the way there and come back the same day. They had homes. How do we learn this? When the ayat of the Quran, ayatul isti'idhan, when the ayah of the Quran was revealed regarding seeking permission before entering the house. Ya amanu la buyutan. Don't enter into the houses until you are given permission. Ayah of the Quran. Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu asked, Ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, uh, I've got a question. Allah has told us not to enter the houses until we ask for permission. That's correct. However, O Prophet of Allah, many of us, many of us, 
We have homes on the trade route journey. He actually says between Makkah, Medina and Baytul Maqdis. No one lives in those homes. So if I was to go to my house, that's in Baytul Maqdis, I'm knocking on the door, asking for permission. No one's going to answer me because there's no one inside. The Quran is saying, don't enter the house until you're given permission. And then the Quranic verse was revealed, uh, Yeah, if nobody's living there, then you're allowed to go in there. So that's where we learn that Sahaba actually had houses. So this was another link that they had with uh, the land of Palestine and Baytul Maqdis. So these were six reasons uh, why Sahaba traveled there, what connection they had with that particular land. Um, this is where we'll end, inshallah. This week's campaign, um, I want you to carry out some research and find out the name of the Sahabi who very early on in Makkah, he packed his luggage, he packed his bags, and he was heading off to Masjid Al-Aqsa. This is early in the day. He wasn't even called Masjid Al-Aqsa, he was called Baytul Maqdis. So he's in Makkah, the Kaaba's there. He packed his bags, got everything ready. He came to the Prophet ﷺ, he made salam to him, and he just came to get his blessings, and he says, I'm going. Prophet ﷺ said, where are you going? He says, I'm going to Baytul Maqdis. So the Prophet ﷺ you're going to on a business journey? He goes, no. He says, why are you going there? Because I'm going there, I want to go and pray salah there. This is early on. Okay, and then the Prophet ﷺ gave him some advice. All I want, your job is now just to find out what's the name of that Sahabi. Uh, the hadith is in Musnad Ahmad, if that gives you any help. But that's your task, inshallah, for this week, keeping it simple. Uh, may Allah give us a tawfiq. Now, inshallah, we'll spend some time in the recitation of the Quran. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Very quickly, just one news item from... I think yesterday, um, and that is, this has been happening for a long time, um, but it just gives us an idea because when we don't hear about certain things, we tend to put it out of our mind. So everybody's heard about the excavations and the digging that's happening underneath Masjid Al-Aqsa and the surrounding areas. That's not stopped. That's not stopped. That continues. And just yesterday, what happened was. Um, one of the gates of Masjid Al-Aqsa is called Bab Al-Hadid, the Iron Gate. And just outside there, the entrance, um, some of the slabs have just caved in. Um, and and, and it's, it's not a matter of just like fixing it. You can't just go and fix these things. Uh, a lot of it might not make sense to you. Like, why not? Um, it's not as easy as that. But this is happening as a result of the constant digging that's happening underneath and weakening of the foundations. Uh, and making it more difficult uh, and uh, there's, there's a lot that's happening underground uh, a lot's already happened some of these tunnels I've seen myself and seen what they've done in them and what they're trying to create and this is something that's continuous it's happening it's still happening and we can see the result of it in a lot of the pillars, pillars you see cracks uh, and in the walls you see cracks and even in the masjid you see some of the tiles have cracked um, so this is just outside one of the entrances and you can see it's just kind of caved in uh, and, and, and the damage that's been caused. Mentioning this so that we can continue making dua at least. This is the least we can do. Keep it in our thoughts, in our concern. Continue making dua for Masjid Al-Aqsa, for the people of Al-Aqsa. 
for the sanctity, for the safety of Al-Aqsa to be maintained and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes care of the affairs of the masjid and the holiness remains and that Muslims are, are, are able to continue visiting the holy site without the trouble that they go through, without any restrictions and without any difficulties. May Allah give us the tawfiq. We'll do dhikr inshallah and then it will be time for ishraq. Recite Duru Sharif Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa barik wa sallam. La ilaha illallah, 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 la ilaha illallah. Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wala ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar, wala hawla wala quwwata illa billahi al-alihi al-azim. Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wala ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar, wala hawla wala قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله 
والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله 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 العظيم استغفر الله 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 الله والله 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 لا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم 
بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين وإله كم إله واحد لا إله إلا هو الرحمن الرحيم اللهم لا أحسي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك جز الله عنا سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ما هو أهله رضينا بالله ربا وبالإسلام دينا وبمحمد صلى الله عليه وسلم رسولا ونبيا الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لك الحمد ولا نعمة الإيمان ولك الحمد ولا نعمة الإسلام ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين رب اغفر ورحمة جاوز عما تعلم إنك أنت الأعز الأكرم رب اغفر ورحمة أنت خير الراهمين O kind Allah, O loving Allah, O most merciful and compassionate Allah, O most forgiving Allah We beg you for your forgiveness, O Allah We are in need of your forgiveness, O Allah O Allah, we can't do without your forgiveness, O Allah O Allah, please forgive us Oh Allah, only you can forgive oh Allah, no one can forgive besides you oh Allah, oh Allah we have wronged you oh Allah, we have committed many sins oh Allah, we have made many mistakes oh Allah, we have disobeyed you oh Allah, but we have come to you to say sorry oh Allah accept our apology oh Allah oh Allah accept our apology oh Allah we don't even know how to say sorry oh Allah but your, be- your forgiveness is beautiful oh Allah, your forgiveness is beautiful oh Allah, your forgiveness is beautiful oh Allah, even if our sins pile to the top of the skies, O oh Allah, your forgiveness will always be greater than our sins, O oh Allah. O oh great forgiving, O oh Allah. O oh great forgiving Allah, grant us your beautiful forgiveness, O oh Allah. Grant us complete forgiveness, O oh Allah. Create the hatred of sins in our hearts, O oh Allah. Help us to obey you, O oh Allah. Make us steadfast, O oh Allah. Grant us true peace, O oh Allah. Grant us, grant us a life of tranquility, O oh Allah. Grant us true happiness, O oh Allah. Grant us your love, O oh Allah, grant us a life of afia, O Allah, grant us a life of safety, O Allah, grant us baraka within our homes, O Allah, grant us happiness within our homes, O Allah, safeguard us from all types of calamities, O Allah, safeguard us from all types of illnesses and difficulties, O Allah, make our lives easy for us, O Allah, make our livelihood easy for us, O Allah, grant us baraka within our children, O Allah, within our families, O Allah, within our extended families, O Allah, within our homes, O Allah, Within our work, O oh Allah, grant us accept, acceptance within our masajid, O oh Allah. Within all our religious work, O oh Allah, grant us true sincerity, O oh Allah. Help us to do it for only your cause, O oh Allah, to only please you, O oh Allah. Safeguard us from all kinds of trials and tribulations, O oh Allah. Unite us, O oh Allah. Unite us, O oh Allah. Unite us, O oh Allah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked of many good things. We ask of you the same. He sought your protection from many evils. We 
seek your protection from the same. O Allah, Muslims, wherever they may be suffering throughout the world, O Allah, alleviate their sufferings from them, O Allah. Help them, O Allah. Sustain them, O Allah. Protect them, O Allah. In particular, Muslims of Palestine, O Allah. Help them, O Allah. Grant them resistance, O Allah. Help them to remain steadfast, O Allah. Increase their iman, O Allah. Help them to fully practice their Islam, O Allah. Help them to be connected to you, O Allah. O Allah, you grant them inner peace, O Allah. Grant them inner satisfaction, O Allah. And grant them the true reward in the hereafter for protecting your masajid, O Allah. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.